All righty. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mitzi, and I'm here with Julie. We have a special guest. We, she's going to be talking about her journey to become a consultant, and that is our show for today. So, Julie, if you don't mind introducing yourself. Perfect. I'm Julie Noonan. I'm the founder and CEO of Julie Noonan Consulting. I do organizational change management as well as executive coaching, and my journey started way back a long time ago. I started as an English major and then decided that I wanted to make some actual money. <laughs> so, I don't believe you. And, yeah. Money's good. <laughs> Money's good. Money's good. And so I started out as an instructional designer and really found the people side of business to be where I loved working then started looking into uh, corporate positions. I did a lot of training and development work. I did a lot of internal kind of consulting and then wound up going into my first consulting company in 2006. Okay. And then in 2006, when you went into your first consulting company group, what were you guys necessarily consulting? Because I know there's, you can be consultants for pretty much anything nowadays. So what oh, yeah. do you consult about? <laughs> Okay. My specialty is organizational change. And so when an organization decides that they are going to make a fundamental change, transformational change, putting in a brand new enterprise resource management system, which affects everyone and how they all work, changing a culture, doing a merger and acquisition, reorganizing their company for whatever reason, developing new product lines, those huge kinds of changes and even the smaller ones sometimes, a lot of times those projects kick off and no one's kind of paying attention to the people that are going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. So my job is to go in, identify those groups that are going to be impacted, anticipate resistance from those groups, use my change management tactics to get them involved so that they have ownership over the decisions and the choices that are made along the way. So they don't feel like the change is being done to them but they're part of the change solution, making sure they get communicated with and trained, making sure they have a voice so that at the end of the project, when it actually kicks off and goes live, the adoption of that new way of working is much quicker than it normally would have been if we had not paid attention to them. Mm -hmm. And also the benefits that the project was supposed to bring to the organization happen sooner because the employees are now working in the new way of of working in the future state. No, yeah, that makes sense. Seems mm -hmm. like you deal with a lot of emotions. It feels like yeah. you deal with a lot of people's narrow-mindedness and you got to broaden them up and make them a little bit more open-minded. And, and you really deal with a lot of emotions with people, you know, because to be able to do what you do, you basically have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And you would have to consider their emotions. You have to consider their point of view. You would have to consider how would I think about that? And to be able to think in somebody else's shoes, you have to think about how they would feel. And it seems like you have a great way of feeling other people's emotions and people's clientele. And because I was reading on your website that you dealt with governments and you dealt with pharmaceuticals, you dealt with the healthcare field and to be able to deal with the healthcare field and pharmaceuticals, you really have to put yourself in the client's perspective. You really have to feel their emotions, you know, so for you as an individual that does that, how do you necessarily know when to handle those emotions? Okay. Handle them personally or handle them from a project perspective, a project perspective and, and personally, why not both questions? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, part of how I handle it personally is just having a lot of experience, many years of dealing with it, understanding that where people's emotions come from is, you know, our animal brain, basically, if change is perceived by a lot of people as a threat, and it is a threat to their current comfortable way of being or way of doing work. When people see a threat, they either fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. So knowing that that's just a typical normal human reaction, then it makes it easier to expect the emotions that come out of that. And then also to have tactics to be able to let those as a consultant, to let those wash over you, empathize. But as one of my coaches says, don't get in the box with them. So it's interesting. I, what do you mean by that? Don't get in the box with them. That is interesting. Yeah. So the individual that is anticipating the change and having the emotions, having the resistance, feeling confused, feeling like they want to fight the system or hunker down and this too shall pass. All of those emotions are with that person in their box, their box of being their box of here's how I usually do my work. Here's how I interact with people. Here's how my company looks to me. Here's what my contribution is. Okay, I see that. I as see a, what you're saying. As a consultant, I have to be able to stand outside of that box because as soon as I go into the box with them, then those become my reactions. Those become my reality. And I can't certainly guide someone out of the box and out of those emotions to a new world if I'm in the box with them. Yeah. Okay. So that makes perfect yeah. sense when you say it like that and you explain it because people can do that in a lot of scenarios and a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're able to just acknowledge that, yeah, the person has a, a feeling, the person has a way of doing things. The person may be great at what they do the old way, but now let's switch it up. Let's change it. Now we're going to take you out of the box, join the free zone. <laughs> <laughs> Part of what change management does is it reassures the employees who are being impacted, as well as the leaders who are being impacted, it reassures them that they're not alone. It reassures them that someone is on the project team who is paying attention to their needs, their concerns, and is making sure that someone on the project team is hearing those so that if there's going to be a huge impact to the change that is being made, at least the senior leadership who's, who've made the decision to make the change understands it. And we have that risk somewhat mitigated before we actually implement the change. So we empathize. We definitely give them a forum for being able to share what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what their concerns are. And, but we don't become them. We walk in their shoes, but not become. Literally. Yeah. Not yeah. literally. Yes. yes. <laughs> so that makes sense. So out of all of the genres, I guess you can say that you worked in, which ones do you say have the hardest resistance and which one's the easiest that you just love doing? You take those any day. <laughs> oh man. Um, wow. That's a I thinker, think huh? See, it, I, this is the show where you have to really think about it. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Everyone across the board has some reaction, like we talked about to change mm -hmm. positive, negative, or whatever. The audiences that I find are able to adjust more quickly are audiences or groups of people who are in already supportive culture in their organization. So the culture of the organization has already proven 
to them that they are cared for as individuals, that their voices are heard, that they are not just a number, that the organization has made really good decisions based on facts, and they've been informed about those decisions along the way. They feel like they're a part. So those groups are much, much, much easier to organize and deal with. The groups of people that have the most difficulty are people in organizations that don't change often. Um, That seems almost not possible in our world today, since everything changes every two minutes, it feels like, right? Yeah. But if you think about it, particularly our public sector government, you know, they don't have a lot of the funding that they need. They don't have the opportunity to change as quickly as corporate America generally does. Mm -hmm. Also, I find small businesses, they get overwhelmed quite a bit because their resources are also limited. As far as the type or the the job descript the job roles that I like to work with, I love salespeople. <laughs> because generally speaking, unless you are impacting their paycheck, they'll jump in and try anything. That's nice. Uh, the people that I have the hardest time with are people that have been in a particular job role that is changing but hasn't changed in many, 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 many years. So they feel like their skill set is obsolete. They feel unwanted. They feel too tired to learn something new. I feel for those folks and we try as much as we possibly can to help, but sometimes that the change actually results in them leaving the organization or going somewhere else. Mm, yeah, that yeah. makes sense because some people, unfortunately, they're not able to adapt or they're just not able to, to just try. Sometimes they're just resistant. And when you're not adaptable, it makes it hard for you to be an asset. You know, let's be honest, in this day and age, you have to be adaptable. You have to be willing to move in any direction in every direction that life throws at you, because if not, you're going to fall and you're going to be left behind or you're going to be tomorrow's news. You know what I mean? Like, that's just Absolutely. how society is nowadays. So I guess that's nice that you're able to see that you're able to spot the more adaptable ones, the ones that are going to be easy to an easy project. Be like, yes, I'll take this one. This one seems good. I did a walk. Yeah, those are nice. It sounds like either way, no matter which direction you go, you face and you encounter, it's still a positive outcome at the end of the day, because your project ends up getting done. So my guess, my next question is what got you really into consulting? Because you've done other stuff, you know, yeah, you, you've done other stuff. You, you faced life, you know, life probably knocked you down a few times, but yeah. <laughs> what holds you into consulting where it gives you that peace? Because to really be able to do a job or to have a career and do it for many years, you kind of have to have some type of peace in it. Right. So yeah. what would be your peace in being a consultant? Uh, I made you think again. <laughs> I, just, I love it. I love it for a whole bunch of reasons. The first reason is that it's the variety. I'm not stuck working, and I don't mean stuck, but I'm not working with the same people, the same company, the same projects over and over and over. I'm not an operational kind of gal. I'm more of a project person. So I like doing a project, seeing the end of it, being able to celebrate and move to something else. I like the variety and learning about different industries. I like being able to experience my job and what I do in different 
company culture, different organizations across the United States, the regional cultures of the country actually impact, you know, the groups that I work with. So up north in New England, the pace is a bit more quick. Decisions feel like they're being made quicker. The yeah. conversations are more, you know, faster, stiffy, uh, to the point, mm-hmm. a lot more blunt. Mm-hmm. In the South, it's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more, I don't want to say passive aggressive, but sometimes that's the case. I think that's a good word though. I mean, I lived in the South, so I think that's a good word. (laughs) I grew up in the South too. So it's a lot more genteel on the surface. The, the pace is a little slower. So just even those kinds of differences actually wind up impacting the company that I'm working with. So I just love the variety. That's my number one, because no two projects are the same. And that's what what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah, you learn constantly. You can go in and do a change management project for one client, get staffed or or find another client, try the same exact methodology or tools. It's an entirely different outcome. So you have to be able to be creative, pick up on intuitive hits that you get when you're there. It's not all book learning. It's not all fill out this template. It's not all data analysis. There's an art to it that I yeah. love, that I actually enjoy. It sounds like that. It sounds like you, one, really enjoy what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Two, this is really fulfilling for you. And three, you don't mind doing it until, you know, you die. retirement, what? Don't need I no know. retirement. You know what I mean? anymore. We don't need <laughs> to get bored when this already gets you enough and exciting. And I think that's very okay. rare to find that, you know, not a lot of people are able to say they work for a company or they have a company that they enjoy working for and they, they get excited for a new project. Project or they're excited to even see their coworkers or just to do with people. You know, a lot of people are becoming non-people people and non-people person. <laughs> That's the right way to say it. That's and I feel yeah, it is a shame. You meet people like yourself and you realize, you know what, people ain't that bad. You know, you, you exactly. <laughs> you. And then you can go to these projects and you can encounter all of the different types of personalities and still not be bothered and still be refreshed each and every day where it doesn't drain you, you know. And sometimes people forget to find that, you know. And I guess yeah. my next question was I don't know if I keep on repeating the same question, but in different forms, but it just feels that you're very happy, you know, you're very mm-hmm. happy with what you do and I don't know if there's a secret code to for that happiness because I feel like I've encountered many people who are just not happy they do what they do but they don't know how to escape what they're doing I mean how did you escape that nine to five or how did you escape that routine because I'm pretty sure in your generation growing up you had a specific lane to go into right so I mean I'm not quite sure I don't know you personally so I can't just assume as well but what are your opinions on that Well, I was one of the first people in my family to go to college. I actually put myself through college and grad school by working, you know, multiple jobs while I was actually holding a load and having a good social life. (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) You know, I think it goes back to all in what you want. A lot of people don't know what they want. And even sometimes when they think they know what they want, they don't try it or give it a chance long enough to know if that's really true or not. I think life is just, it's a process. And when you find yourself in a situation 
where you're not being fed spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and monetarily. When you're in that situation, one of the things that I would recommend or that I did was I realized, okay, there's no nirvana anywhere. There's going to be something, right, that needs either improvement or doesn't fit with a part of me or I don't really like this. There's always going to be a little something like that. However, if you look at how you're impacting or serving other people, it doesn't matter what company you're in. It doesn't matter what job you're in. If you are impacting the world through people in some way, shape, or form, I think there is fulfillment in that regardless of what you do for a living. And that's what I found when in all of my jobs, when I actually looked at, should I go into consulting? When I looked at that, I thought, what do I like the best? What do I love the best about what I've done so far in my life? And what came up for me was people, interactions with people, seeing the connections between people, seeing the connections between ideas. And when I realized it was really the ideas and the people that I was attracted to, consulting just kind of, it appeared as a position in a profession that probably would fulfill those needs. And it did. The profession itself did. It doesn't mean that every organization I've worked in since becoming a consultant was nirvana. It doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes I didn't want to scream, you know, out of frustration or mm-hmm. the client was giving me a hard time and didn't want to do what I was recommending, even though I knew it would work. There's always those frustrations, but ultimately I feel like that I'm doing good for people by representing their interests in the workplace with these big changes that are changing the way they live. You change somebody's work and that's a big deal. It's a huge deal because that's their livelihood. That's their security. That's how they feed their family. So it should never be taken lightly. And so to me, I look at my life from a servant lens and consulting was just probably my best way of figuring out oh, okay. I love people and I love ideas. Hey, let's give this a try. (laughs) And it worked. That sounds very good. I mean, Mm -hmm. the way that you were able to explain it, it really had me thinking. I think the hardest thing for people is doing that. You know, you got to ask yourself these hard questions. And I think that's the thing. You had to really ask yourself this hard question because especially someone who has to put themselves through college, they know the most the difficult times and how precious money is and how precious time is and how precious life is. Because if you don't acknowledge life, time and money and et cetera, all of those important things, then you won't actually value your life and you won't actually value your time. And you won't actually get that point. Like I need to do something to save my sanity because some people don't ask those questions until they're 60 or until they're 40 or until they're 39. You know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, however old or young you may be, I think just asking yourself those important questions even before you even start college because why waste your mother's money or your own money if you don't even know what you're doing and the fact that you knew what you were doing and you know you had that frame of mind at a young age it makes you realize like gotta get it done early because then I can really enjoy your life and I'm pretty sure since 2006 you've been enjoying life you can see it on your face like you can just see your energy just bright maybe it's because it's sunny out and you got the sun behind you (laughs) 
in Florida. Yeah, and you're in, in Florida. Let's be honest. When you're in Florida, it's sunny all the time and it's beautiful. Well, and it wish. just keeps your spirit up unless you, you're driving in that one cloud that it's raining. Like sometimes there's no cloud and it rains. Like, isn't it crazy? Oh, yeah, but <laughs> but I think that's very nice how you were able to find that for yourself because not a lot of people can say they've done that, they, they, that they've asked themselves those hard questions. And if you were to just be able to give me advice or someone in my audience and advice, maybe about counseling or not, or whatever the case may be that you feel comfortable with, what advice would you give us? Well, I am also, in addition to a consultant, I'm also an executive coach and mm-hmm. coaching is Basically, if you can get someone and afford someone to coach you, to literally ask you those questions, because the answers are all inside of you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all you need is a guide. Sometimes all you need is someone to sit with you, ask you questions that make you think and make you see or help you see all their alternatives, help you see what you're doing to sabotage yourself. Yes. I'm a big believer in that. Yes. Where you are unique and special and you have some, a gift help you identify what that is. Maybe you have a gift, but it's not necessarily the thing that gives you the most joy. That's possible. I think probably it's what do you enjoy doing so much that you would do it without a paycheck? That's a big question. Another question is what do you feel like you do naturally so well, but other people can't do it as well as you. They have to try harder. So Mm. there's where your like inner genius comes in. And I love that. I love that inner genius. (laughs) Oh, yes. And sometimes, and the third thing that I would ask myself always is, how can I serve the world? How can I serve others? Because it's not just about me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never just about me. Mm -hmm. It's about our communal experience of this life and how can we all help each other that's very true because i think that's one thing that i always try to say and i always try to like remind people like we don't live for ourselves not even the slightest little bit because what you do affects someone in some way somehow somebody's watching you somewhere somehow even if it's mm-hmm. if it's a little bug you will affect that bug in some way, somehow. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. It's the tiniest thing. It's just a grain of sand. I'm telling you, everything is affected by the tiniest ways and people do not realize that. And I think mm-hmm. because people don't realize that is because they choose to have that selfish mentality. They choose to hold on to hurt. They choose to hold on to pain. They choose this focus to only focus on that they forget to realize that the world one does not revolve around you. It does not revolve around you because if it did, it would make plenty of stops. <laughs> you know what I mean? plenty of stops along the way but it doesn't it just keeps on going and going and going and like you were saying self-sabotage I always say that I always say that we have to be careful on self-sabotaging ourselves and we have to be careful of our family and our friends and even our close network that we even have because sometimes they can sabotage us without us even realizing it because we think oh they're giving us good advice or they're looking out for our best but do they really know the best for you do they really know what really makes you happy? Because right. people will just assume that, oh, because they're nice, they're going to have the best interest in heart, but not really. Sometimes people have double motives, you know? So even even yourself, you can have a double motive. Like, I'm not going to eat the cake, but then you see the cake and you still eat the cake. You know, you double motive yourself. <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> you know so I strongly believe in though everything that you just said because it has a big impact on your life in the long run because if you temporarily just go off of your temporary satisfactions and your needs you're never going to really be happy and you're never going to find that happiness not only in yourself but in your job and in your career and your love life and everything and and I think those are important aspects and just people that we need to remind ourselves like and ask ourselves those hard questions and really think about what are you going to respond, you know, and how would you really respond if somebody were to ask you that? But I think the problem is, is that when people ask those type of questions to you or just in, and to people in general, sometimes they feel attacked. You know what I mean? And do you have you ever got a client that since you've been a coach as well, like, have you ever gotten a client where you ask them a simple question like that? Like what really makes you happy? They felt like, oh, what does it matter about my happiness? I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything where that has happened? It can happen. What I would say is that generally speaking, a really good coach, they're going to be able to set you up for here's how this thing is going to work so that you're not surprised. And the other thing is an executive coach or any coach, the client's agenda is the reason for the meeting. It's not my agenda. So if the client wants to focus on how can I be happier in my life, I will help ask questions so that they can narrow it down to something that's digestible for that session. And during that session, if I feel that I need to challenge something that they said, or, you know, an assumption that they've made or anything like that, I ask permission mm -hmm. so they can choose whether or not they're ready for a tough question. So, so it's, it's not like counseling or anything like that. No, it, it, there, there's a- You're not asking about their childhood. <laughs> no, not unless they bring it up and want to talk about it. There's a distinct difference in coaching. It is the client's agenda. It is not therapy. We're not qualified for that by any means, but it is literally asking the questions that you sometimes don't even know to ask yourself. Because you live in your head, right? You live in your own body. You live in your own. Sometimes it takes that outside perspective to ask you the question. And then all of a sudden you have these realizations. Oh, I never thought of it that way. I do have the answer to that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I love coaching. It's amazing to watch people come up with solutions to their own problems. And because they've come up with them, they work. Yeah. Right. That's, so they, yeah, that's true. They're invested in making the changes that results that they want. So if somebody needs or wants coaching around losing weight, for instance, the last thing that I'm going to do is start lecturing them about diet and exercise and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to ask a question, something like what about losing weight is important to you? So then they're going to go beneath the surface of, I look like, you know what, in this dress to I want to feel better about, you know, my sex life, or I want to feel better about being around for my children because I want to be healthy or whatever the case may be. And then we just ask question after question until eventually okay. they find the motivation within themselves or they don't, but oh, you know, it makes sense. It sounds like a triangle that's, you know, pointing down. Yeah. It sounds like yeah, that when you start broadly good. and then just narrow it down, narrow it down, narrow it down until you realize, you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> And then that's they can good. make a choice. And that's the thing that I think everyone needs to have is A, the ability to make their own choices and B, the ability to get help in executing on those choices. That's smart. I think those are two very important things that people do need to reflect on is just 
to think about those questions and to think about those hard questions, that's the first step for, I guess, anything really for anything in your life. You know, that's the first step that people need to be willing to do. So that's smart. Thank you for that. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience before we wrap this up? What I would say is sometimes it can feel very, very overwhelming. All of the change that's happening in our world, much of it negative, unfortunately. What I would say is ask yourself the question, how can I serve others? How can I make a positive difference in the world? Even a little tiny thing. Because that then is going to bring that positivity and that energy into your life. And the more you feed yourself, the more positive energy you can give to others. And I think we all need to be able to do that in order to change the trajectory of our world. All right. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first. Julie Noonan, she's the lady. <laughs> oh, yeah, the philosopher, right? <laughs> <laughs> quote quote end quote yeah exactly exactly it's been such a pleasure Mitzi thank you likewise likewise